But, uh, you know, after that, that's when I realized, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have to get into the criminal law uh, field somehow. So I thought about either a public defender or a district attorney. And uh, uh, as a prosecutor, because I prosecute crimes, I don't defend people. Wait, wait, so hold up. So you, so you're not on, you're not a defense attorney. You, you're on the prosecution side. Right. So I prosecute crimes. Okay. So, okay. Okay. Uh, and the reason why I ended up you, you are now listening to Podcast Save a Seat Podcast I'm your man Crew You know um, when I started this podcast I wanted to create a platform Where I could save a seat For people that you know I felt were unique And um Access to the planet, not just the culture, because everybody's trying to do something for the culture, and that's fine. I, that's beautiful. I love it, but I'm talking about the whole damn world. You know what I mean? My goal, my goal was to share like my POV, as well as a point of view of my co-hosts who represented the divine feminine. You know what I mean? Because I feel like when it comes to conversation, and or like you know coming up with solutions to this thing. I will be a fool not to include like a woman in that conversation. You know what I mean? However, like, I feel like as men, we tend to forget about the innate responsibilities of, of many women. You know what I mean? Specifically that of mothers. My co-host, my co-host Marley, you know, is a mother who was raising two young kings in America. Which is a job in itself. I take my hat off to any any mother out here raising, not just you know boys but girls too, but especially young black men. That's that's that is a, a real nine to five. It fucking nine to five is twenty four seven. Unfortunately, doing a podcast can't always fit into that schedule. So you know, I was forced into I faced a dilemma. You know what I mean? Um, she's a mother. She has responsibilities. She, you know. Sometimes people can't always fit that into their schedule. So I thought about, it's like, damn, should I quit? Should I just stop the podcast and just, you know, because my co-host has responsibilities that supersede doing a podcast. Or shit, should I just keep this thing going? So what I chose to do was the latter. I chose to keep this thing going. Because, you know what I mean? I, I've, I've been doing radio a long time and, you know, just in this whole little game a long time. And, well, I still got love, much love for Marley. I, I know that she has responsibilities that, you know, that she has to take care of. And she can't be there, you know, as my co-host. But you know what? My first guess is somebody that if we haven't personally came into contact with, we know somebody that has. You know what I mean? Um, I've known this brother for a long time. And uh, one thing is for sure and two things for certain is that he has always pushed that line of success. You know what I mean? From serving his country to being a classically trained piano piano player to now being a domestic violence attorney in the Bay Area. You know what I mean? That's, that's real big. This man has continued to raise the bar for not just himself, but literally, like literally raise the bar because you got to take a bar to even be a damn attorney in the United States of America. So ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome, welcome my guy, my man, Saran Tesfaye. What's up, Saran? What's going on with you, big dog? What's up, crew, man? How's it been? Oh, man, maintaining, man. You know, I just got back from the crib. I was in Chicago for about a week, man, so I'm just getting, I'm just shaking the, shaking the snow off me, you know. 
Welcome to uh, welcome back to sunny California, man. I love it, man. I couldn't wait to get back. I mean, I love the crib, but damn, bro, it's just you know, man. So, so, Ron, you 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 don't have like a typical American name, man. What's your origins, brother? So, I'm a Eritrean, uh, 100%. Both of my parents are Eritrean. I was actually born in Eritrea, came out to the United States with Mm -hmm. my mom when I was three years old, uh, in the mid 80s. Uh, due to, uh, you know, families being split up were uh, refugees. My father uh, took him some time before he was able to make it out here. He came out in the 90s. Uh, so mm. uh, about 10 years after my mom and I got out here, my, my, my father was able to make it out here. Okay. You, you, so, you said Eritrea. Is that how you pronounce it? Eritrea? Right. There's uh, people either pronounce it Eritrea or Eritrea. Uh, how do you, uh, how are you small... supposed to pronounce it? How, how are you really supposed to pronounce it? I pronounce it Eritrea. So, so every time I think about, about Eritrea, I think about the the great, you know, the amazing Nipsey Hussle, man. Because, you know, Nipsey Hussle and, of course, Tiffany Haddish is, has their origins in the same place. Um, right. And so we're talking about East Africa, right? Right. East Africa. Okay. Yep. Okay. And uh, are y'all, like, what's the difference between y'all and Ethiopians? Obviously, it's two probably two different nations. Right. So, unfortunately, the people who drew borders uh, around Africa... Uh, didn't really consider or take into account how the tribes, the cultures were, uh, you know, how, how those tribes and cultures kind of existed. So they just drew lines based on the resources uh, and based on what was what they thought was important to them. Mm. So, for example, uh, you have tribes uh, in Eritrea. There's nine different tribes. There are the Tigrinya tribes, and that's uh, where we're from. Okay. Uh, we're from the city Asmara, which is the capital. Uh, and we're Tigrinya tribe. Gotcha. Uh, and then uh, there's a group of tribes uh, in Ethiopia. Uh, and uh, I don't know too much about them. I'm not Ethiopian personally, but, uh, you know, I have cousins that are half Ethiopian. Uh, is there beef with Ethiopians? Uh, is, there like a, is there like a feud between uh, Eritreans and uh, Ethiopians? Is it like a... There, there was a long war. Uh, Eritrea used to be a part of uh, Ethiopia. There was a long war. Uh, Eritreans were fighting for their freedom. That's the war that we actually fled in the 80s. Mm. And so uh, in the 80s, there was a huge uh, exodus of Eritreans leaving Eritrea because of the war. They were refugees. So that's why you have so many Eritreans coming to the United States in the 80s, as well as, you know, Europe and uh, other places such as the Middle East and uh, even Australia. Wow, because of that war. Uh, Right. So that generation of Eritreans that fled I was already born. I was born in East Africa, but that same generation are, you know, Nipsey Hussle's father, uh, Tiffany Haddish's father, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of people that came out here to the United States in the late 70s, early 80s. Gotcha. Right. Wow. So uh, the tribes in Ethiopia, uh, you know, they're, they're a separate tribe. They're the Amharic tribes. And then there's a group of tribes right there in the middle uh, between Eritrea and Ethiopia, and they're Tigray. And those... Tigre. Uh, mm. Right now, there's a current, uh, there's a, there's a, you know, violence going on right now between the Amharic tribes and the Tigray tribes. Technically, it's seen as a, an Ethiopian civil war because they're both within Ethiopia's border. Gotcha. But uh, an example of why, you know, the way the borders are drawn makes no sense is that there's actually Somali tribes that are within Ethiopian border mm. because the, the border was drawn that way, even though those tribes are actually Somali. Mm, who started the war? Like, what, what, what are the origins of this? Does this shit go back like hundreds, thousands of years, or was this some recent shit? So the uh, war between Eritrea and Ethiopia started, uh, I want to say, 
maybe the late 60s, early 70s. But I want to say it was in the 60s. Wow. Uh, and it was essentially Eritrea's trying to gain their independence. Mm. Eritrea, you know, it's it's a the cultures are very, very similar, but uh, you know, Eritreans speak a different language, uh, and they have different, you know, they're uh, they're a more sea. They're, they're, they're close to the Red Sea, so they got a lot more, for example, seafood, stuff like that in their diet. And it's just a different culture. Okay. And, uh, you know, they wanted to be free and separate from Ethiopia. So that's kind of where the war started. It went on for 30 years, I want to say from the 60s to the 90s. And that's mm-hmm. when uh, Eritrea gained its independence. Okay. 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 That, that's, man, that's dope. That's dope. That's dope. So real quick, uh, not to get too deep into the, you know, I love talking about the continent and the history of the continent, but do you um do you think there's a rift or a, a divide between Black Americans and uh, actual Africans? You know that's a. Uh, I think things are different now, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, it really depends on your viewpoint. And I was very fortunate; my parents raised me uh, to have a viewpoint as a world citizen, right? So okay. I have never bound uh, anyone throughout the diaspora because of their location or where they, you know. So I don't have any problems with African-Americans. I don't have any problems with Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, Brazilians. He's like, I don't want no smoke with nobody. I'm cool. I'm, we good. Well, I just see you as a global citizen. You're a citizen of this world just like I am. Absolutely. Uh, my, you know, my wife is African-American, uh, you know, uh, and I have assimilated. And I've been here in the United States since I was three years old. So I completely identify as African-American. But I know there's a difference because uh, I'm not a direct descendant of slavery. And I also... Uh, still have connections to my African roots. I speak my language. I eat, you know, food. I can cook Eritrean food. I eat stuff like that. But so you can see how Black uh, Americans can envy something like that because our 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 culture, our history is so fragmented to where you could just touch home and you know where home is at. Whereas us Black Americans, that went through that that maafa or that slave trade kind of wash. It's kind of like we can't. What can we connect? I mean, yes, we're from Africa, right. but unless you do a twenty three and Me or African ancestry trust, you really don't know what you really are. Right. That, so that history was stolen from me. Right. Yeah. And uh, I think that there's a, and, and, you know, I've had a, I've had a great, a lot of, you know, I, I don't, it sounds kind of weird saying this, but I have a lot of friends that are African-American, right? Absolutely. Uh, and uh, I think part of it is, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm able to talk about the, I guess you could say uh, my history and my roots. And I think we have great conversations uh, and, you know, I'm always willing to, if anybody has questions, I don't know much about West Africa other than what I've learned. Yeah. You know, as an African-American studies major in college. You're like, I'm from the East Side. I don't know what's going on out West, but I'm from the East Side. Exactly. And, you know, <laughs> East Africans, it's East Africans, we look different. You know, our hair is a little Ooh, yeah, you know, absolutely. finer, curlier. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we got big foreheads. Ooh, they <laughs> I got think, the big uh, foreheads. I wasn't going to say it. I wasn't going to say it. Right, right. Well, well, I look, think, you know, after a while, you can spot someone. If you're looking at Africans, you can spot someone and say, well, that, that's an East African. Man, I spot East Africans from uh, 13 miles away, G. What was that? I, I, I said I spot my East African brothers and sisters from miles away. I might right. not know if you're from right. Eritrea or from Ethiopia, or from Somalia, but I know you from that East. It's something right, about right, that right. East look, man. Like, you know what I mean? Right. But um, so well, like, what where, where'd you grow up though? Like, you 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 said you from you you been here since you was three. So where'd you at? I know you grew up, but for the for the people, where where did you grow up? Like, right. Where? So uh, my mom and I came out here to we landed in East Oakland. And we were in Oakland for a while. Uh, Oakland and Berkeley ended up on the in North Oakland. Then, uh, you know, Berkeley, we were out there in uh, kind of South Berkeley area as well. We were fortunate when we came out here. I had an uncle that came out here way before we did. And he had uh, he actually set up the first 
uh, East African restaurant in the Bay Area as far as the East Bay goes. There mm. was one in San Francisco, and we're talking, we're talking 1985. So there was one in San Francisco at the time, and he set up the first one. That was, uh, it was initially, uh, the first location was on uh, Shattuckin University near there in Berkeley. And then uh, it okay. went over to uh, uh, Telegraph and Alcatraz, uh, kind of South Berkeley, North Oakland area. So we were there uh, in Oakland for about a year, year and a half. Okay. And then uh, we were able to look, move over to uh, Santa Rosa, where my mom had some friends that also immigrated recently. And so it was a little easier for her uh, to be around uh, other people that, you know, had come recently so that we could try to get up on our feet. I mean, a lot of people don't, you know, I have a, I identify with a lot of different cultures. So for example, uh, uh, people who uh, come from Mexico, I can identify with a lot of what they went through because, mm. you know, the first uh, spot I lived in, uh, it was 12 of us in a two bedroom apartment, maybe, you know, 800 square feet, maybe even smaller than that. I don't know. Wow. But, uh, you know, so coming from an environment like that, where there's four twin beds in a room, two kids on each bed, you know, and then uh, being able to, Finally, uh, with the help of public assistance and all that, my mom and I were able to get into our own apartment. But even when we got our own apartment, there was always people in the house with us. We either had cousins that were living with us that were around my age or so. Mm -hmm. Our grandparents lived with us for a while. Uh, just roommates. Uh, my mom always, women who came to the country, you know, they needed a place to stay. They would, be, they would stay with us six months to a year, maybe longer. Mm -hmm. My mom was kind of one of those people that's everybody's mom. You know, they, wow. Uh, a lot of uh, people that I grew up with, very close friends, I call them cousins, but we're not actually blood related. They all look at my mom. They, they call her mom too. So, mm. uh, you know, so I had that opportunity where there was, it was never, it, even though it was just me and my mom, it was never just us two living together. Absolutely. We always had another two to four people living in the apartment. Did that shit get on your nerves after a while? Like, God damn, man. God, I can't wait till I get <laughs> yeah, my, I got my space. own my first, my own first bedroom. By myself when I was tenth uh, grade, fifteen. That was that was interesting. I'm you like, oh, you wait, wait, talking about you myself. said you moved out at fifteen. What was that? You moved out at fifteen. You had your own room at fifteen. No, no I, I finally got my own room when I was God, fifteen. I know you didn't know how to how to but fucking that. You was like shit. Right. I got my own space now. Right, because there was either a roommate that shared a room with me because we were in a two bedroom. So mm. uh, I either had cousins living with me, it'd be three or four of us in the bedroom, or uh, you know. One of these women would be living in the, you know, there was always a two more than one bed in that in that room. Okay. Uh, and then when I was fifteen, that's when uh, my sister was born. Uh, when I was thirteen, so when I was fifteen, uh, we had a we had got a three bedroom apartment. That was the first time we got a three bedroom apartment. Mm -hmm. and that's actually when I moved from Santa Rosa to Vacaville. Okay. In the late nineties. So. And that's uh, a sad change in itself. That's you know. What was that? Yeah, that's a change in itself because you're going from like this, like, like this, you know, the bay, the city, the bay, and all that to like kind of the suburbs kind of thing. Right. So we went from Oakland to Santa Rosa, and then mm -hmm. from Santa Rosa to Vacaville. Gotcha. Uh, so yeah, Vacaville was very different uh, than Santa Rosa. <laughs> first right. of all, it was hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And at the time, it was such a small city. You know, there's two malls in Santa Rosa, so mm. even though it's it's a small city, it's the biggest city in the area. So uh, in Vacaville, there was just outlets, and these outlets were pretty dead. They're kind of popping now. I'm not going to lie. Outlets yeah. are kind of fun to go hang out. But back then, it was boring. Like, I was like, man, I need to get on the bus to Fairfield. <laughs> Bro, did you see that dude from Vacaville that killed them people on, on, uh, on, on the Facebook Live just recently? The little, no, the little the dude? I didn't. I guess he, he, he had killed these two girls and then showed it on Instagram or some shit. You know, I don't know. These niggas are different, man. They put, they put the shit <laughs> online. Yeah. yeah, man. 
Um, so, but uh, like, what gave you like the, the, the desire to be an attorney though? Like, what, like, especially a domestic yeah. violence attorney, what, what gave you that the spark? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of, uh, two different steps that I took. The first one was I was, you know, I, I uh, served in the Navy from 2004 to 2008. So when I got out of the Navy, uh, I had been taking community college classes and I had taken so many classes and community college is so cheap. I didn't want to use my GI bill. For so I continued paying out of pocket. What's the GI bill? People don't know for Explain what just real quick what a GI bill is. Yeah, so the GI bill is uh, basically a uh, if you uh, serve in the military, then once you get out, the government will pay up to four years of school for you and give you a monthly stipend to help pay for rent, whatever, mm, whatever. That's love. Uh, yeah. So after nine eleven, it 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 actually uh, they changed it up so it was a really really good deal. Before nine eleven, it was just thirty six thousand that you would get uh, for the whole four years. But uh, after 9-11, it became, all right, they'll pay full tuition no matter what school you go to. Right. You go to Harvard, it's 50000 a year, they'll pay that. You go to, you know, Sonoma State or Sacramento State, San Francisco State, it's only two, 3000 a year, they'll pay that. Yeah. Then on top of that, they'll give you a monthly stipend and it's based on where you live. So if you live in a high-priced area like San Francisco, you get $2,500 a month to help pay for rent and food. Damn, that's love. But Frisco is right, expensive, though. <laughs> You live somewhere like in Sacramento yeah. or, uh, you know, any uh, any other state where it's real cheap, then you would get, you know, a thousand or fifteen hundred or whatever gotcha. they think is appropriate based on your zip code. Uh, so I had I had the GI Bill, but because I had done so many classes uh, at community college, uh, I transferred to UC Berkeley. And when I got there, I only needed two years to graduate. Mm-hmm. I actually needed one, but I decided to add because uh, my major was African American Studies. I decided to add English as a second major. Mm. So that was a two-year now that I had uh, two years of school uh, that the GI Bill, that I was going to use the GI Bill for. Then I thought to myself, well, I have two more years of GI Bill left. What am I going to do with that? And honestly, the the idea to go to law school was merely, uh, all right, law school is extremely expensive, and the GI Bill is going to pay for whatever I do, whether it's culinary school or law school, they're going to pay full. Anything. Right. And then the second thing is that with a law degree, and, you know, becoming a lawyer, I can use that as a tool for no matter what I wanted to do. And at the time, I was thinking more of helping uh, entrepreneurs start businesses, going into low-income communities, doing economic development and stuff like that. So I thought to myself, I could go to business school, but if I go to law school, that'll give me the, you know, the ability to draft contracts or do whatever else that you can't do with any other degree. Right, like, the world you is yours degree, with that law degree. You can really do whatever you want yeah. and you don't ever need to hire a lawyer to do work for you because you can do it yourself. 100%. So uh, that's why I chose to go to law school. And then once I got into law school, I just became uh, passionate about criminal law. And so, uh, is that shit as I hard rather, as it looks? Is it, it cause it, it looked like it's hard to be an attorney. Like you got to study hella documents and files and both sides. And is it as hard yeah. as it looks? It's tough. It's uh tough, and especially law schools that first year. It's really, really tough. Like a lot of people that, Grew up their whole life getting straight A's. They got straight A's, top of the class in college and all that. They get to law school and it's like a, it's an eye opener. Mm. And, you know, they get a reality check because now all of a sudden they're getting B's or C's. Mm. <laughs> and it's like people, I've seen people have breakdowns over that. How do you cope with that? Do you, how do you like? Well, you know I, mean? I think the best thing you could do is just uh, brush it off and keep it moving. Like mm. everybody, it depends. If you, you know, I'm not a person who had uh, lawyers that I could talk to. Uh-huh. So I didn't. Or judge like some people that I went to school with, their their parents are judges. They can just go home and ask them, "Hey, I'm having this trouble." Like with this real judges, you class. need to talk about ju- not not judgmental, but real 
judge, I, Uncle Phil are, type judge. They are superior court judges in California. Damn. They are on the bench. Like they That's that they, good job. Good they are job. lawyers. With they benefits. were lawyers for decades and then became judges. And you know, yeah. so What's you know, that? if you have someone like that that you could talk to, it's you know, you probably don't do well. Uh, right. But if you don't, uh, you know, then it's just kind of like you gotta take whatever you know advice and you know any opportunity you get to like pick someone's brain. And if you don't do well, I didn't do that well. And by didn't do well, I mean I got all B's my first semester. Mm-hmm. So uh, compared to someone who had straight A's at UC Berkeley, going to you know law school, B's is good you know, though. B's is good. B's ain't bad. Right. Now right. you say but you, you would have said I got straight C's. Yeah, I'd have like, all right, all right, Saran, you got to get your grades up, dog. Right. But straight well, B's. Me, it was a, yeah, it was just an eye opener that like, wow, this is actually because I I was putting hundred percent in. It's not like I was slacking off, you know. So I was like, wow, this is actually really hard work. So at that point, I started, uh, you got to kind of maneuver, right? So I kind of maneuvered a little bit, and I realized, okay, well, I'm not going to get, get into one of these corporate law firms because uh, you got to be like top 5% of your class really to get into one of those, uh-huh. five, to, 5 to 15. Uh, and I just decided, I was like, uh, best advice I ever got was uh, in my first year of law school, uh, this dude told me, he said, uh, look, man, stop chasing and doing what everybody else is doing. Mm. Find what you like and what you find interesting and then chase that. Because if you don't, you're going to end up in a career that you hate. You know, you might be making yeah. a lot of money, but you're basically going to be miserable, miserable, suffering. And you're going to be thinking, like, I can't wait to get out of this. It's like, you know, I just want to do something else, do something else. So then I started taking classes that I like. So I actually like the criminal law classes. Mm. You know, I'm not I don't like contracts. I don't like all these other classes that they had. So I just took the classes that I liked. And I realized uh, after taking criminal law and criminal procedure, which really is, uh, that's the one that really, uh, a lot of, uh, people, you know, from my background, that's the one that they're mad about. You know, you're not mad about what you mean that mad you about Who, why they mad? charged with a crime. You're yeah. mad that you were pulled over for no reason. Right. right. That's okay. A criminal yeah. procedure issue. Yeah. Uh, that's a violation of your fourth amendment rights, which is criminal procedure, not criminal law. But, uh, you know, after that, that's when I realized I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have to get into the criminal law. Uh, field somehow. So I thought about either a public defender or a district attorney and uh, uh, as a prosecutor, because I prosecute crimes. I don't defend people. Wait, wait, so hold up. So you, so you're not on, you're not a defense attorney. You, you're on the prosecution side. Right. So I prosecute crimes. So, uh, and the reason why I ended up going that route is because uh, I was lucky enough uh, at the very end of my first year, I met a black district attorney who basically challenged me and he said, well, why don't you try you know, going to a district attorney's office. Uh, he was a, he was a district attorney in San Francisco, and I was like, "What? Nah, man, I'm public defender. Like, what are you talking yeah, about? I'm you, know, from, you know, shit. Right? I'm not trying to be the man. You know." And then uh, <laughs> then he was like, "Well, think about it. Like, do you want to be the one who goes to the bargaining table, asking for a deal and trying to like help someone that way, or do you want to be the one at the bargaining table with the power to say, you know what, this is your your client was arrested, but here's a fair charge and here's a fair." Uh, probation term or whatever. Right. And that made me really think about it. And uh, the, the fact that the DAs have all the power in negotiation made me think I'll be a better fit for that job. I'm not trying to come to the table begging and asking. I'm trying to come to the table and say, hey, look, this is what's going to be fair in this case. Or or if you if you get a case and you realize somebody's uh, Fourth Amendment rights were violated. What's the Fourth Amendment? I, I wasn't that good in government. What's the Fourth Amendment? So that's a illegal search and seizure. Oh, so, illegal search and seizure. Let's okay. say, right. So let's say they, uh, you know, pull someone over and find a gun in the car, right? Uh-huh. 
if it was an illegal stop and they should have never been pulled over, as a DA, I have the power to say, look, I'm not going to follow this case. I'm dismissing it. We're not filing it. This is not a, a legal stop. I'm not going to go into court and try to justify this, this traffic stop. Mm. So, uh, you know, to be able to have that, rather than to be the one who's always coming there trying to, you know, tell the judge, the case is filed, you know, nine times out of ten, uh, you know, it's not going to get dismissed. It's going to end somehow either mm. with a trial or with a plea deal. So, it's, you know, there's not it's not like we file cases and dismiss them. So if you have the power to make that judgment call at the time of filing and just say, I'm not even going to file this case, you can have a lot more impact. Or at least that's how I view it. A lot of people could disagree with mm-hmm. me, but... Uh, that's how I do. That's why, how I view it. Why you think attorneys get a bad rap? I mean, like you look at movies like The Devil's Advocate and movies that kind of put this, or not even movies, but just the stigma on lo- attorneys in general. It just seemed like they just on some shiesty shit. So, like, why you think yeah. it is that attorneys get a bad rap like that? So, uh, unfortunately, uh, it's one of those things where there's a couple bad apples that makes the whole, you know, the whole bunch look bad, like the police and. Uh, it's, uh, you know, you have attorneys that are actually, you know, they might have their own issues. Maybe they're having financial troubles or, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah. And so they kind of screw over their clients. And the problem is that, like, when those attorneys screw over their clients, they screw them bad. Like, mm. you know, it's not like money-wise you know, uh, or money-wise or time-wise. Right. There's people that have been, like, had, you know, tens of thousands of dollars basically stolen or whatever from their, from their attorneys. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if that happens, uh, you know, it just, that's the, that's the, that's the, that's, that's a, that makes for a good plot. You know? okay. And that's why that's sensationalized. I think for the most part, attorneys are uh, generally good. I think that there's some lazy ones out there. Yeah. Uh, and I, especially in criminal defense, I see it a lot. There's some lazy ones out there. They're just trying to get their clients to plead to something and, you know, put the case behind them and move on. Yeah. But there's also a lot of good ones. I mean, I've, I know, you know, probably, you know, dozens and dozens of attorneys that if I were in some situation where I thought to myself, oh my God, I might be facing some charges. Mm-hmm. I would want one of them to represent me. They got a good they heart. Fight hard for their clients. Yeah. Yeah. So, I go I, I lie. Uh, you know, when I was in Sacramento, I pulled up to the, uh, the Bulls in the playoffs. I had, I had drank a Mickey's before I got there. I ain't gonna lie. When I pull up to the, to the supermarket, this dude, this Asian dude, he swooped in with his motorcycle and stole my space. So I go park the car. Mind you, it's me and my girlfriend at the time, her son in the back seat, then my homie. So shit, when I when I go confront the dude, and I'm like, man, bro, you didn't see me just finna, I have my signal on, I'm thinking anything. Um, finna pull in this parking space. He was like, I, I don't, you know, pretty much like, I don't give a fuck. So I push his motorcycle over and go in the fucking supermarket. Like, nigga, fuck your motorcycle. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mind you, this motherfucking Sacramento PD eating in Chipotle. I didn't know they was in Chipotle. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> nobody tell me that part of the game. So right. by the time I'm coming through the frozen food section, going to the cash register, police right there, boop, at the end of the aisle. Like, oh, that's him right there. I want. I go to jail for six days, bro. You know what I'm saying? Catch, yeah. catch a case for pu- pushing a dude motorcycle over. You know what right, I'm saying? Right. So I, I mean, obviously at the time, like I didn't have a, enough money for a lawyer. I had mm-hmm. a PD. I had a public defender and he did a good job. I ain't gonna lie. He, he helped me, but I could see how they get overwhelmed. You know what I'm saying? With just yeah. so much bullshit. G. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And every County is a little different, but uh, I think overall public defenders are a better option than uh, paid defense attorneys. 
The ones who really screw you over are the paid defense attorneys. Yeah. A public defender gets a salary, you know, and they have like a, they have the, I guess you could say. A, is it decent? Is it a decent salary? Is it like what, 50? Oh yeah. They make the same as, oh no, they're, they're six figures. Six, the 40, six figures? Oh shit. They better come defend yeah. me publicly shit. Yeah. They're making the burn. And, uh, and, and I'll say that they, they have a general, uh, you know, there's a, obviously there's always going to be some lazy people, or even if you got a great attorney, but maybe they've gone through something in life yeah. or divorce or whatever. That'd be the thing. Be all personal shit. But, uh, but overall they have the genuine, like they're not, there's no money motivation behind what they do. So they're doing it out of the good of their heart. Right. Mm. The defense attorneys that you pay for, they could be doing it out of the good of their heart as well. Uh, but there's a lot of ones that have a money motivation. For that so bag, as soon as right. they get you to sign that retainer check and you get, you know, maybe let's say you sign a $3,000 retainer, God, damn. man, they all of a sudden they stop caring about your case until it's time to sign another retainer check. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And a lot of people, uh, my, my, my advice to anyone, is always remember, you know, you're the boss. Like you are hiring them. They exactly. work for you. Okay. Right. So I think a lot of people get into this position where they put this retainer on for an attorney and they start thinking like, I'm stuck with this person. I can't leave. I got to do whatever they say. Mm. If you if you give them a three thousand dollar retainer today, and within a week you realize this person is you know blowing me off, you could say you're fired. I want my retainer back. It's my money and I need it now. You know, if he he can take whatever he charges for whatever work he did in that one week but let's say it's a hundred bucks and you get 2900 back right so a lot of people need to remember you can hire and fire attorneys just like you can hire and fire someone who does yard work for you okay it's the same you employing somebody for a service exactly they work for you so you're the one who's in control and if you feel like they're not explaining things to you keep asking questions and just say hey look i don't understand what you mean by that or I don't understand what your tactic is or why you're saying this or why you're saying that. Mm-hmm. And if you don't get a satisfactory answer, just say, hey, you know what? Our, this, this relationship ain't working. I don't understand what you're doing and why. Uh, I want my retainer back. You're fired, right? Okay. They may try to fight you and try to keep some of that retainer. And just do whatever you got to do. And you can always make a complaint to the state bar. So the California State Bar has a whole, uh, uh, a whole group of attorneys that all they do is work with complaints like that like this person took my retainer he didn't do nothing now he won't give it back i fired him want to hire someone else i need my retainer back right yeah give me my money it's my money and i want it now shit right and as soon as the state bar gets involved because the state bar can actually suspend an attorney's license they'll start they'll start responding like they're going you know they're gonna pick up their yeah they're gonna start you know they're gonna get their act together basically so being a prosecutor in domestic violence cases, do you see more victimized women cases or do you see more men or is it balanced? Or what's the, the ratio on that victimized women and, and men? Yeah. So unfortunately it's almost all women. All victims. women. So 99.8% is women. Uh, I don't know if it'd be that much, maybe 90%. We still 90, have about, okay, you know, okay. one out of 10 cases is a female defendant against a male victim. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I get the, Everything from, you know, just an assault to all the way up to attempted murders. So, you know, we get some pretty serious cases, shootings, stabbings. Uh, all that's domestic. All that is when you say define. I'm sorry, uh, Saran, the, the define domestic dispute. So is that somebody that, you know, your, your significant other? Like, what is the what are right. the what are the, the um the perimeters when it comes to domestic violence cases? So domestic violence. uh can technically be anyone. The way our unit works is uh, it's a domestic violence because there's so many 
just family that gets into fights, like cousins or maybe uh, parents and children or whatever. Uh, domestic violence for past or present. Mm. Right? So it could be an ex or it could be someone that you're currently with or currently were with. Uh, but it has to be some kind of intimate relationship. Oh, so like if, intimate. if two so, brothers okay. start fighting and they, you know, live together in the same house, that's mm-hmm. not a domestic violence crime. So intimate meaning sexual? Because that's what I think of intimate. Yeah. I think your, yeah. of your, your your girlfriend, your little boo thing, your baby mama. Right. Like intimate like sexual relationship. And that's because those relationships have more of a dynamic and they're tougher. So we have a specific unit dedicated to uh, working with domestic violence victims because there's so much more involved, you know, it's, for example, if you have uh, three kids with someone and you've been with them for 10 years, you guys have been married for, you know, 15 years, right? Yeah. You can't, you can't just send them a subpoena and say, come to court and testify. It don't work right? like that. They need a lot more one-on-one got to talk to them and they, they need services. They say, well, what, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to testify. And this person remains incarcerated. That's he's, he works or she works. I don't have any income. How am I supposed to feed my kids or whatever? Mm. So we do a lot of resources for those victims. We try to get them uh, into housing. We try to get them uh, any type of resource therapy, whatever they need in order to make them independent so that they don't have to rely on this other person. That's the biggest, that's the toughest part is getting this person to become independent. And we're we're actually successful a lot of the time. So we've uh, been able to get women uh, and their children moved uh, or we get the, the the person out of the house, get them kicked out. That way, they can remain in the home. That was my next question, mm-hmm. though, Saran. Um, like, how do you protect the victim after an incident happens when a woman gets, or a man, or whatever happens? With like the protocol, like, how do you actually protect the victim in that situation? So you, you say you put them in, a, in in what is it almost like protective custody type of situation? Not necessarily protective custody. More like uh, there's a bunch of nonprofits. Uh, so they're, uh, basically these, like, let's say you're unemployed, right. And you want to get a job. You can go over to the EDD office, right. And they'll have laptops and computers and everything else and show you how to do a resume and all that. It's, there's little places like that for, uh, women who are victims of domestic violence. They can go there. There'll be a counselor there. There might be someone who can help them with, uh, any custody issues. Uh, there'll be attorneys working there as well that are not criminal law attorneys, but that do family law or whatever else. Uh, so it's kind of like these places that are a one-stop Do you know shop. any of the names of them offhand? Any of the names of up where you at offhand? Just yeah, a, just a so couple of there's uh, the, uh, one of them is called the FJC, which is Family Justice Center. Okay. Uh, that's a good one. Another one is the, uh, I can't remember. I just have all the acronyms in my head right now. But, uh, <laughs> Gang of acronyms, huh? Right. Now, is, uh, this, is this a California base or is this just strictly yeah, North Carolina? No, here it is. C- CVS is the other one. That's CVS, the, the, the Walgreens company? Like the, no, oh. right, but it's, it stands for Community Violence Solutions. Community Violence Solutions, okay. Uh, and they actually work with children, too, because a lot of people don't necessarily realize this, but most of my witnesses that witness the abuse are children. Some as young as, uh, you know, five, six years old. So Wow. Uh, and, you know, you can't just have a police officer just take a seven-year-old and interview them. And no, I wouldn't trust that, G. It's too many crazy motherfuckers I have. Right. So uh, so we have uh, basically a child interview center, the CIC. So this is where children are taken. They talk with a specialist who's basically uh, trained in uh, interviewing children, like a forensic interviewer. Mm. 
And they'll sit down with them and it's a video recorded. They'll be in a room and they could, this could be a child that was a victim of sexual abuse. It could be a child that was a witness to uh, domestic violence or right. whatever else, or even a victim of domestic violence. Maybe uh, the defendant maybe hit this child as well during the process of whatever going on. Have you seen and So it? they'll uh, sorry, sit down, interview them, yeah. kind of uh, get them to, you know, you got to ask them, do you understand the difference between the truth and a lie? need you to tell the truth here you just want to know what happened etc so mm. have, have you seen an actual abuser beat the system and do it again when it comes to abuse like you know what i mean like, just well, slip, slip I, I, the I wouldn't say beat the system but the vast majority of our domestic violence defendants are repeat offenders mm. so they're probably already on probation for domestic violence and uh for one reason or another like i was mentioning about the financially dependent uh, once they're on probation, they end up back with the person that they were abusing. Wow. And then they'll abuse that person again. So now we have a more serious, maybe it's a stabbing now. Before, maybe it was a black guy. Sure, now we have someone who's been stabbed by their abuser and they're on probation for domestic violence against that person. So we get a lot of that. That's the sad part about it. What's What's the maximum amount of time that you can get without actually killing somebody for something domestic? So uh, every so domestic violence is just uh, defines the the relationship, but the crimes themselves that we do have a domestic violence crime. It's a penal code section two seventy three point five, but the vast majority of crimes that we charge are just normal crimes. So it's attempted murder, but because the relationship it goes to the domestic violence unit rather than major felonies unit. Mm. See what I'm saying? Okay. So uh, so attempted murder would be probably the most let's say you know a shooting attempted murder with a firearm uh could be 20 see maybe 32 to life it would be seven plus 20 27 to life something like that okay uh but uh it it just depends that's a long ass time boy right and it depends uh you know what other crimes went on so if it's just one shot, right? That's one thing, but let's say there was other crimes that you can add. You can stack those up, so not every... Some crimes you can't, you know, like if you have an attempted murder, you can charge that person with assault with a firearm, and you can charge them with attempted murder, but you can't, like, add those up. So you get assault with a firearm, let's say it's 10 years. You can't add 10 to 27 because it's one thing that they did. You can't punish them multiple times for the same crime. Okay. But let's say... uh, uh, you charge them with assault, with uh, or let's say you charge them with attempted murder, but then you also charge them with uh, criminal threats, like maybe they were threatening to kill this person or whatever else. You could stack those up because those are two separate crimes. Right? Mm. The verbal threat is different than the shooting. Got you. Um, just a few more questions. Um, so basically, when a when a man attacks or you know first attacks a woman or a woman a man, statistically statistically showing. This is you, like, personally, what do you, like, do you think that he or she will do it again? Because you know how somebody might get into a domestic uh, dispute and he might, you know, assault the person. He's like, you know, I'm sorry, baby. I'm sorry. I ain't going to never do that again. How much of that is true? Do you really think that he or she will statistically do it again? Well, it depends on, uh, basically, you're asking, like, uh, a question about recidivism, right? Is this person, Mm. did we do enough this first time around to prevent this crime, this person from coming back into the system? Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, 
domestic violence is one of those places where there's a lot of recidivism, right? There's a lot mm. of people coming back for the same stuff. Habitual domestic violence the, people. Right. Not all of them. And usually uh, the first time offenders where they have a significant uh, intervention through maybe probation, right? Where they have to take a year of domestic violence classes and, you know, what I notice is that when family court gets involved, that's really where the most, once you get family court involved, right? And then you have to have a victim that's also willing to say, I don't want to be with this person anymore, or mm. I'm sick of this. I'm not taking this anymore. Unfortunately, the vast majority of our victims say, hey, you know, he didn't mean it. Uh, this was an accident. Let him go, whatever, whatever. They don't understand the gravity of it. And usually it takes two or three times of them being arrested the defendant being arrested before the victim is like, oh, wait a minute. Jesus this Christ. Guy's gonna That's kill how long it file. takes? Three times? Three strikes oh, yeah. and you're out? Two, two or three. Two, yeah, three. two or three times before uh, they're saying, you know, or, you know, but sometimes they just never do. Like, you know, I can't, every, every relationship is different, you know, and when you've invested, you know, decades into someone and you've got children with them and all that, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot going on for someone to just walk away. I think for us, you know, generally, the average normal person who's not in a domestic violence relationship yes. can think to themselves, yeah, if this, this person punches me in the eye and gives me a black eye, I'm done with them. I'm cutting them off. Out you of there. Yeah. Exactly. But the average domestic violence person, uh, you know, th- it's a cycle that they get trapped in, right? And wow. so they don't, it doesn't click. Sometimes it never clicks. But, or sometimes Damn. it does, but it's just... Much much farther down the line, and sometimes mental but, health mental health comes into play too. You got to examine the mental health of the situation too, um, right? Yeah, and in, in situations uh, like that, yeah, mental health is pervasive throughout the entire criminal justice system. Unfortunately, wow. people usually are committing crimes or doing things like this because of some other reason, and one of the biggest ones is mental health issues. So, so have, uh, uh, okay, so have you seen like you know being that we're in a uh, a pandemic situation? Have you seen a spike in cases since the pandemic started? Yes, absolutely. Mm. Uh, yeah, pandemic. Uh, I would say uh, in California specifically, uh, state shut down in March. By April, domestic violence arrests were just skyrocketing. Skyrocket. You get some. Yeah, you get some small towns that maybe might get, you know, three or four domestic violence arrests every month. To getting all of a sudden that became three or four every weekend. Wow. Right? So, uh, and it was, uh, it was, it, I think it's obvious why, right? It's because people are unemployed. People are kind of trapped in the house. They're, they've got all this anger and frustration uh, and there's really no outlet for it. And they start blaming each other, right? So mm-hmm. you can't work, you can't get a job. There's nothing you can do. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, you need to put food on the table and all that, you know, and you start. Blaming each other. Or Plus, you need space. You need space from your spouse. Shit, I, I, got, I, I ain't got to go to work. I got to see your ass 24 7. You're going to get tired. I love you, but goddamn, I need some space. Right, exactly. Which so, is no reason, which is no excuse to hit somebody. Is, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, and that's a, yeah, that's a problem. But, um, you know, unfortunately, it, it did skyrocket. I, want, I would say that uh, generally it's been up the entire year. However, the spikes have kind of, there at certain times. So definitely April, May, June, there was a large spike and it kind of mellowed out. And I guess every, this is just kind of like the office that I work out, but uh, the work that I work at, but every other office might be different. And then there was a, uh, some spikes again in like November, December, 
Um, even recently, just the past couple of months, there's another, no, we get fine. a lot of in custody people getting arrested, uh, for domestic violence. Um, and, uh, and, and kind of came to the conclusion. Do you, do you see yourself, do you feel a certain type of way being on the prosecution side? Cause I feel like it's just like being uh, black and people assume that you have to be a Democrat, you know, being right. black. I mean, even when you look at Chris, Christopher Darden, some of these uh, famed uh, prosecutors that were on the quote unquote, the other side of, right. you know what I mean? What, what, what was people felt was right. Do you feel any certain type of way about being a prosecutor? Like, do you feel like you selling out or any of that bullshit? No, as a black man, I can tell you, I feel 100% comfortable being a prosecutor. Uh, but I'm also fortunate enough to be working in the Bay Area where I have a lot of mentors who are black prosecutors that have been doing this, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. Uh, and so I've, I've been kind of, I'm not isolated, I should say. I think it might be tougher if I was doing this in, you know, maybe like Oregon, right? If I was a black mm. prosecutor in Oregon, it might be tougher, uh, especially... Right. If you're at an office where, you know, there just isn't a high population of black people. Uh, I will say this, though. A lot of people have a misconception about what a prosecutor does. Prosecutor's job is not to just walk in and try to prove someone's guilty by any means necessary. Mm. Prosecutor's job is to walk in and make sure that uh, they find the truth, what happened, and then present that to the jury or judge or whatever and let the jury decide. If I lose a case, it's not my fault. It's just, you know, I always work hard and I do my best to prove every case, but I'm not going to put someone on the stand that I know is lying, right? So I I take what evidence is available that is competent evidence, meaning that it should be admitted at a trial. And then if a jury decides no, then, hey, I you know, I look at it as I'm, I've been invested in this case and I've been, you know, I know the facts of this case. I've been working, you know, on this case for Anytime, by the time a case goes to trial, it could be a, you know six months to a year that I've been working on a case. If a jury comes back with fresh eyes and they look at it and they say, "No, nah, this is not this person's not guilty," then hey, then that's how I look at it. Then this person must not be guilty. Okay. So okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, a lot of times people think that prosecutors have to secure a conviction. Uh, you don't have to. I think a prosecutor is just supposed to find out what the truth is and present that to a jury. So I, I feel fine doing that. You like I can sleep know. at night being a prosecutor. I don't give a fuck what y'all niggas talk about. I, shit, say, I'm fine. They, yeah, they say prosecutors <laughs> get the best sleep. <laughs> okay, for real, man. My, yeah. my my homie J Rock just texted me, man, real quick, man, before we get out of here, man. He said, yeah. "Uh, okay, say say y'all both say you with somebody, y'all both on the lease, right? Y'all get into an argument or something, and the police say, oh, well, can't you just find somewhere to sleep for the night? Or like, how are you supposed to determine who gonna leave and who not gonna leave? Uh, yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, if definitely if there's if we're talking about uh, domestic violence or any other crime like that, even if it's not, let's just say a roommate, right? And the, the police think someone is at fault, they should be arresting that person. They think this person is the aggressor. Mm-hmm. They should be arresting that person, and that person should have to leave. Uh, and as part of that, they offer the other person a temporary restraining order. That okay, if this person just knocked you out, then you know you have a 21 day restraining order where this person can't come back. The person that just hit you can't come back to the home uh, for 21 days mm-hmm. until you go before another judge. That's a long ass time to be at the house. Right. 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 It is. Shit. It's tough. And, you know, you could, if, if that happens, you can get a civil standby. So they can, you know, you can call the police department and say, hey, I need to pick up my stuff. I need a civil standby. There's a restraining order, whatever, whatever. And they can arrange that. And that's pretty common. 
Uh, but you got go, you go to court for that? For a where, civil standby? You got to go to court for that? Not for a civil standby. Okay. Uh, okay. You should be able to call a uh, uh, sheriff's deputy's office and just say, hey, look, I need a civil standby. You know, make an appointment, and then they'll have a deputy or somebody come out there and say, and just stand there while you go get your stuff just to make sure there's no issues with going on. Gotcha. But, you know, let's say, for example, nobody's arrested, right? Mm. Well, then what police officers do next is they try to, re- whoever seems to be more reasonable out of the two, they'll just ask them, hey, do you mind cooling off? Do you have, do you have somewhere you can go for the night? Mm-hmm. Just cool off. Like, nobody committed a crime here. We understand you guys are heated. You guys are in an argument. Nobody committed a crime here. We're not going to arrest nobody. But we also don't want to just leave you two here in this circumstance. Absolutely. With, you know, this argument. So that's, that's a request. You don't have to say yes. You can tell them, nope. Not going anywhere. I pay rent here. This is where I want to stay. But that might not be a good then, idea. You know, they'll they'll take that into calculation and they'll make a decision on what their next steps are after that. You know. Got you, man. Well, before we get out, here, man, any any uh, you know, social media people can get in contact with you. Are you are you hire? Are you can people hire you right now? What's going on? Yeah, no, I work for the county, so uh, you know, I can't. I don't. I have exclusive. I can't work. You know, any side yeah, okay, job or anything okay. like that. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, I don't. I don't have any social media. I shut that all down. You better, cause you got a wife. Uh, you got a queen. Your queen ain't taking it. You like you better. <laughs> you know you can't handle Instagram. Right, right. She probably yeah. She <laughs> she got social media. She all over that. But uh, oh, yeah, God. I'm just kind of like over it right now, especially with the past couple of years. How social media has kind of been like a spiraling downward, Man, as far as like me. rabbit hole and all that. So I kind of just shut it off. Just take a break, but. Uh, I will say, uh, generally, uh, anybody wants to reach out to me, they can hit you up. Okay. Hit me, a hit me up. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if there's anybody out there that's interested in going to law school or, uh, you know, thinks that they, you know, they might want to be a lawyer. And I'm always trying to get more people of color uh, into this profession. I was fortunate. I kind of fell into it, uh, but I've done well while I've been in it. And along the way now, I've been trying to mentor as many people as I can try and get into either people that are already in law school, try and mentor them to get into criminal law or whatever it is they want to do, whether it's, you know, I'm just trying to be a resource. I'm uh, on the uh, the board for Charles Houston Bar Association, which is a Bay Area Black Bar Association. In Southern California, they have the Langston Hughes uh, Bar Association. Wow. Okay. Similar thing. So uh, you can definitely reach out to me there. Secretary at charleshoustonbar.org. Mm. Yeah, so that would be probably the best way to contact me. Dope. Or they can hit you up and you can support it. Y'all can slide in my DMs about, about Saran. If y'all if y'all want to get in t- contact with Saran, y'all can slide in my DMs. Other than the big booty chicks that want to slide in. Y'all can slide in too. But if y'all want to hit me up about the, what the homie's talking about, you know, he has so much light and so much knowledge to give about this law thing. Cause if one thing that we know about being a minority is that we can never know the law too much. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, man, with that being said, man, so Ron, man, thank you, bro, for ha- for being on the show, bro. Like, it's been a lot of changes, man. I appreciate you being on here and, and just having you on here, man. You were really insightful, brother. Absolutely, man. I thank you for having me, brother. For sure, man. You're going to be on again. Don't don't, don't get too comfortable. You're going you're, you're to come again, man. We're going to have some questions, man. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, so, and, and one, one quick thing, man. Like, is there anybody that, like, that you would save a seat for? We do this thing on save a seat, like, you know, where we say we like to save a seat for somebody. And that's pretty much saying, is there anybody that you would like to put, like give, give, you know, pay homage to or put them on, give a seat to? Ooh, like somebody, uh, anybody, you know, anything. You could be Captain Crunch Serial if you want it to be. <laughs> um, 
You know, uh, over the years, I've kind of been thinking about black people in politics and I've been uh, kind of watching, I got, after going to law school and learning so much more about how government works and how, you know, law is made or passed. Uh, you know, I've been thinking about black people that are in politics. Uh, one person I can think of right now, uh, Benjamin Crump. And okay. he's the, uh, he's the defense, he's the attorney. I'm that's familiar been, with Benjamin Crump, boy. The Breonna Taylor, Trayvon Martin. And he uh, he yeah. like the new Al Sharpton, G. On my mama, he like the new Al, he step up. Every time it's an issue, he step up. Right. He, 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 he's actually not representing Brianna, but he did represent George Floyd's family. I oh, think he okay. did. Okay. Yeah. He definitely did, uh, George Floyd's family. I think, I want to say Ahmaud Arbery. I don't know, but he's just, rep- he he's been there. making a name for himself like nationwide. Wow. And, uh, you know, he's, he does his, uh, litigation in a specific way. And, uh, he's really trying to set precedent. And that's, uh, you know, the last person who kind of was doing stuff like that as far as with, uh, well, actually in the Bay Area, we have John Burris, who represented Oscar Grant. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, shout out to you know, the whole Oscar Grant. I believe Grant he represented situation. Rodney King, too. Uh, wow. He's kind of an OG. Uh, so we he's like kind of the Northern California guy like that. But, okay. you know, the same way that um, uh, Johnny Cochran made his name. Uh, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, Willie Brown started his career as a lawyer, representing nothing but pimps and uh <laughs> Yeah, I remember Willie Brown. Right? Brown. Yes, sir. And then he ended up, yeah, he ended up uh, being a mayor of San Francisco, and then he was uh, speaker of the house for the California Assembly. Hundred percent. Yeah, that's dope, so, man. So it's you'll save a seat for for your man Benjamin Crump. Yeah, Benjamin Crump. That's dope. If we can bro. get him. Yeah. So we save a seat, man. Pay, pay, give him respect and paying homage to the brother Benjamin Crump, man. And with that being said, man, this has been. Safety Podcast Episode 5 Man With my big homie man My homie Saran Tesla Man Attorney of Law Man Until next time man Peace